0: Uh, today is uh, the final kind of week of our Following King Jesus Together uh, series that we've begun. As we, and it's a series that has been about putting our focus on to Jesus, putting, saying that he's front and centre in our lives. And it's been an encouragement about who Jesus is and the, the unimaginable splendour of who he is. But it's also been a challenge because he calls us to utter surrender. And uh, last, and so that was how we kind of began this series. Last week, uh, Pastor Andrew opened us up to the idea that Jesus is King, looking at Colossians and who he is and that he's the one who holds all things together. And so as we close uh, this series and before we begin our eight-week journey into Easter through the book of Mark, I want us to look at a couple of parables today. So you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to Matthew chapter 13 and we'll be looking at ver- uh, verses 44 um, but these are the shortest parables that Jesus told. But don't think I'm going to finish quickly, okay? just to, just to put it out there, because they're also some very hard-hitting uh, parables. And uh, they're the shortest ones that Jesus told, but like I said, they make a significant point that I think is really important for us as we begin this year following King Jesus together. Now, just before we go into and open up these passages, I need to speak a little bit about parables because parables are sometimes a little misunderstood as to what they are. And so today we are looking at the words of Jesus. Parables are stories that Jesus told and they invite us to imagine a world like this. And so Jesus told parables to help people like you and I and the first listeners to imagine a world and what the kingdom would look like when it is taking root in your life, in your family's life and within our world. They are are fictional stories of everyday places and people and places that help us to imagine an alternative world. And the alternative world of the kingdom of God. So here's the thing. If you have ears to hear today, if you have eyes to see today, then I believe that you and I, we're going to come in touch today with the kingdom of God. If you have ears to hear and you have eyes to see, you're going to come in touch with the person of Jesus today and we're going to walk out of here not the same but we are going to walk away changed. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 13, uh, verses 44. And here's the parable that Jesus told. He's imagine a world like this parable. He said, The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, Matthew uses the term the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, everyone say his joy, in his joy went off and sold everything, everything he possessed, and bought that field. Now, I wonder, has anyone heard of Forrest Fenn's treasure hunt? Has anyone heard of Forrest Fenn and this treasure, this hidden treasure? Oh, right, yeah, okay. Forrest Fenn was, a, um, was a, a US millionaire, art dealer, and a war veteran. And in 1988, he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, it was a depressing kind of time in the States at that point in time. And so he wanted, to, uh, he wanted to make a difference and he wanted to put some hope into the world. And so he hid some treasure. Uh, he hid what is estimated today. And we've got a little picture on the screen here. He hid what today is around, believed to be around 3 to $5 million, somewhere in the Rocky Mountains northeast of Santa Fe. And then what he did is he wrote a poem and that's kind of well, that's kind of the book there, The Thrill of Chase, but he wrote a poem as well that explains and it's kind of clues in twenty four kind of lines where you might find this treasure. And uh, for the last you know however many years it is since one thousand nine hundred and eighty eight i can 't do that thirty two years or something. People have gone to try to find this treasure. Three hundred and fifty thousand people have gone in search for forest Fenn's treasure. Sadly, four people have passed away in the search uh, in the search uh, for it. So who's happy to have a crack at this? Who's going to head out today and get onto Google and kind of look and see where, you know, maybe it's raised a little bit of uh, a little bit of interest to go and find Forest Fens uh, Treasure in uh, somewhere off of in the Rocky Mountains. Well, in our story today, though, we actually have a picture of hidden treasure. There is also hidden treasure. Jesus tells of a man, perhaps we believe unexpectedly or surprisingly, who stumbled across and found some treasure hidden in a field. Now, for you and I today, this can sound a little unusual. Uh, you and I don't tend today to hide our treasure or our valuables or our money out in the backyard or in a field, okay? But back in Jesus' day, that was what you did. So today, what would we do? Would put it in the bank, or would put it in some safety deposit box, or in some safe somewhere? That's how we would keep it safe. I guess the equivalent is kind of stuffing some money under your mattress. You know, might be a, might be one of the ways. Uh, equivalent to this but people would bury it in a field because many of the towns at the time would be attacked by armies and enemies and so it was the safest place to protect your valuables and your money. So finding treasure in the ground would not have been surprising to Jesus' audience at this point in time. This was a, a common occurrence albeit not so much for us today. And so Jesus then says that this man when he found this treasure He went and he, in his joy, we're told, he went and he sold everything he had so that he could buy that field and get that treasure. Now, uh, you and I, we have a a joy scale, just like this man. We have a joy scale where we we weigh up the cost of something or the sacrifice of something compared to the promised joy that this something will uh, bring us. We think that if the joy promised to us is worth the cost or the sacrifice, then we'll probably do it. Uh, if we don't think that the joy promised is worth the cost or the sacrifice, then we probably won't do it. So let's just, let's just try out our joy scale today. Okay. So the first one is, have a look at this. Uh, we've just had the Australian Open. Okay. So here's the question to us today. Um, who was willing to pay the cost of being super tired the next day at work for the joy of staying up late and watching some of the tennis? Who who was prepared to pay the cost? Okay, there's a few of us and there's a few of us who weren't prepared to pay the cost. I was someone who was prepared to pay the cost for that. Okay, what about this one? Who's prepared to pay the cost to head out tonight to uh, to TDP and go to Hoyts down there and spend $17.50 to watch the movie Little Women? It's an Oscar award winning, okay, there's a few, there's a few big hands up the back here. A couple, a couple. Esther's is happy to do that. Good. Yep, so it's Wendy. Great. So happy to pay the cost. What about uh, who's prepared to pay the cost for a uh, 20 bucks a month? OK, to get a Netflix subscription, any movie, access on five devices. Anybody up for that? Who's up for that? Yeah, OK, there's a few people who are saying that one. All right, what about this? Who's prepared to pay the cost of around about $500 to $600 a year to have members reserve seating uh, at Adelaide Oval undercover, under reserve seat, you can rock up late and just turn up and you can see the crows win? Yep, a uh, few people, okay, Katie's happy to pay that. What about Carlton, Katie? You know Eddie Betts is not playing for the Crows anymore, so um, maybe that's, this is going to drop down a bit. Well, how about who's prepared to pay $20,000, $20, say, for a... Put your hand down, hun. $20,000 for, uh, for a month trip in Europe. Okay, okay. All right, there we go. So you see, we all, have a, we all have a joy scale. We all have, every day we make decisions based on the promised joy compared to the cost or the sacrifice that we'll have to make. And for the man in our parable today, he thought that he had a pretty good return on investment. The treasure that he found, he recognised and he perceived to be of absolute value that in his joy he was prepared to give up everything he possessed to buy that field and to get that treasure. Now Jesus continues and he tells another short little parable to prove the point. He's kind of wanting just to hit the, um, bring the point home, kind of bring it all home here. And he says this, uh, Matthew thirteen thirty-five. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was looking for fine pearls and who found one that was spectacularly valuable, he went off and he sold everything he possessed and he bought it. In those days, uh, pearls were kind of like diamonds today. They were one of the most expensive things that you could have and one of the most valuable things you could have. And so here Jesus tells a story of a man or a merchant who, a little bit different to our first parable, didn't probably stumble across the, the, the hidden treasure deliberately was looking for fine pearls and he comes across the most magnificent pearl he's ever seen in his life. And the merchant does the same thing as the man who discovered the hidden treasure though. When the merchant recognised the value of this pearl, that it was pure and most spectacular, he went off and he sold everything he had, everything that he possessed in order to get that pearl. So what's the point? of Jesus' parable. Why is Jesus telling these parables? Well, both of these stories are about the joy and the cost of discipleship, aren't they? They're about the joy and the cost that it is to follow King Jesus. And Jesus is inviting us to imagine a world where people perceive the kingdom of God to be so valuable that they give up everything they have to participate in it. That's what Jesus' point is, to imagine a world where people see that the kingdom of God is so valuable that they are prepared to give up everything just to take hold of it. Have a look what N.T. Wright says. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, The gospel of the kingdom isn't a pleasant religious idea that you might like to explore sometime when you've just got an hour or two spare. It isn't like an attractive object in a museum that you might visit and look at admiringly the next time you're in the area. No, it's like a fabulous hoard of treasure, yours for the taking if you will sell every, everything else to buy the field where it's hidden. It's like the biggest, finest, purest pearl that any jeweller had ever imagined, and it's yours for the taking if you will sell everything else, including all the other pearls you'll ever owned, in order to purchase it. Church, here's the deal the kingdom of God is so valuable that it's worth giving up everything in order to possess it. It is worth giving up everything to take it. The joy of knowing Jesus and participating in his kingdom far outweighs the costs of following him. That's the point. This is what Jesus is wanting us to understand today. Now, I need to just be clear here because sometimes this parable gets a little bit of a bad rap and sometimes it's a little bit misunderstood. This parable isn't saying that if you've just got a lot of money, you can enter the kingdom of God, that you have to be rich. You just can't. It's not saying that you can buy your way to Jesus. It's not saying that you can buy your way to enter into the kingdom. The point here is not that the kingdom can be bought, but that if it costs you everything you have, it's worth it. See, it is possible that the type of person that Jesus was talking about in this first story in particular and the type of person that people, when their first listeners heard it, were thinking about was a day labourer. And a day labourer in those days was someone who would head out early in the morning at 6am into the marketplace where a whole lot of other people, day labourers would be as well and they would wait there waiting for a landowner to come and to employ them for a day and to give them a denarii which is one day's work. So a day labourer wasn't someone who was wealthy. They essentially live day by day and week by week. And you see, this is the point that Jesus is saying. It's not about buying the kingdom. You don't have to be rich. It's about recognising and perceiving its value and giving up everything you have to get it. So you have a look at what Isaiah says. This is what he says about the coming kingdom. He says, "'Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters, "'and you who have no money, Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money. You can't buy the kingdom of God. It is entered into, not like a rich businessman, but like a young child who receives the kingdom, who perceives the value of it and says, I want that. Nothing matters more. You see, the kingdom of God isn't bought with money, but for anyone who perceives its value, perceives its promised joy and gives up everything they have, it is there for the taking. You see, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat in, this, in these parables the cost, does he? He doesn't sugarcoat the cost of following him. He says it will take everything you have. If you want to possess the kingdom, he says it will take everything. The reality for us and the rub for you and I is that we can tend to think of the kingdom of God as just an add-on to our life, just like a a bolt-on to our life. Like, we're going this way and the kingdom of God's just kind of added on and bolted on. But Jesus here is really, and if you look at this whole passage, Matthew 13, what he's doing is he's actually tightening the screws on what it means to be a disciple. He's tightening the screws on what it means to follow him. You see, we often just want to hedge our bets at times. We want to kind of have one foot in one camp and one foot out. We want to have one foot in the kingdom and one foot out. But you cannot hedge your bets in the kingdom of God. You cannot be half in. The kingdom of God is worth everything you have. Everything I have. Your relationships, your time, your money, political opinions, cultural practices and comforts. The kingdom of God takes priority over them all. See, being all in, It will mean giving up things like your pride. It will mean giving up things like control. It will mean giving up your safety. It may even mean giving up your friends and your family. It will mean giving up your right to hate by following King Jesus in his way of love and his way of forgiveness. It will mean giving up the plans and the timing that you have for your life or for your family or for your career. And it will mean following his plans and following his timing on those things. It will mean living generous and big-hearted, not selfish lives with your finances. It will mean using your money in ways that please God's heart. You see, if you want the joy of the treasure and the pearl, it will cost you everything. But it is worth it. It is worth it. The joy of knowing Jesus and participating in his kingdom is far greater than the cost of following him. And so I wonder a couple of questions. I know this is challenging, this is hard hitting, and that's what the discipleship is about. Do you perceive the absolute value of knowing Jesus and participating in his kingdom? Do you recognize it? Are you prepared to give up everything to have Jesus? And to participate in his kingdom. One person who was prepared, who perceived the absolute value of knowing Jesus and participating in his kingdom was Mary. Uh, In John chapter 3 we read this. uh, Six days before Passover, Jesus entered Bethany where Lazarus, so recently was just raised from the dead, was living. Lazarus and his sisters invited Jesus to dinner at their home. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those sitting at the table with them. Mary came in with a jar of expensive aromatic oils, anointed and massaged Jesus' feet, and then wiped them with her hair. The fragrance of the oils filled the house. This is an amazing scene when you actually stop and you think about. Mary takes an expensive bottle of aromatic oils or perfume, she gets down on her knees and she washes Jesus' feet. She pours out this bottle all over Jesus' feet, all over the ground. This was outrageous. Even Judas at the time thought it was completely outrageous. He had other motives, of course, but he thought, "This, this is outrageous what is actually happening here. You see, the word used for expensive here as well is the same word used in our parable in Matthew 13 to speak of the precious pearl, and it means exceedingly precious. This perfume, this wasn't some you know chemist's warehouse special perfume. This was like top shelf type of perfume. Now, I'm not someone who's really into perfumes and all of that and scents. Ellie loves her aromatic oils, but I'm not so much into that, so I couldn't kind of get my head around it. Um, but then I thought of one illustration, at least for me, kind of made a little bit of sense. It was kind of like, I thought, it's kind of like Mary um, using a $40,000 bottle of Penfolds Grange Hermitage, 1951. This is a pouring it, $40,000 of this wine, pouring it over Jesus' feet and massaging his feet and then getting her hair and rubbing it in. It's It's amazing when you actually think about it. You see, for Mary, essentially what Mary is doing here is she is pouring her future out on Jesus. She is pouring her future out on him. Her nest egg All over his feet. She is there worshipping the king of kings. You see, Mary has perceived the absolute value of the kingdom and she is going all in. She hasn't got a foot in both camps. She is all in. Jesus is front and centre for Mary. Nothing matters more. Mary knows the joy of knowing Jesus and worshipping him is far greater than the cost of following him. Paul was another person who knew what it took to follow Jesus. He knew the absolute value of knowing Jesus uh, Paul was a little like the pearl merchant. He had amassed a lot of things in his life. He, before he came to Jesus, he was someone who was regarded with very high social standing. He had, the right, uh, he had the right background. He had the right blood. And when it came to living out the law, well, this guy was top of the class. He was, he was, he was faultless. Have a look at what it says about him. This is like his pedigree. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. You can't get any better than that tribe. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, he was a Pharisee. As for zeal, he persecuted the church. Like That was the way. That was what you did if you wanted to be the top of the class. And as for righteousness, based on the law, he was faultless. You could say that, per- that Paul had accumulated a lot of pearls. In his life. One day, though, Paul was on his way to Damascus, wasn't he? And he encountered the risen King Jesus. The risen King Jesus knocked him off of his bike or his horse. And he was never the same after that. He was never the same. He was transformed and he was completely changed. One encounter with the risen Jesus... And Paul was a different person. Take a look at what he says of all the things that he had amassed now. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. I consider them dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ, Paul declares. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in, in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know Jesus. I don't care what the cost is going to be. I don't care the suffering that's coming. Even if it means sharing in His suffering, I don't care. I just want to know Jesus. Even if the cost is great, nothing matters more to me. I just want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. I don't care what I've accumulated. I don't care what I've acquired in the past. I'll gladly give up every possession, every title just to know Jesus and to participate in his kingdom. You see, for Paul, the joy of knowing Jesus far outweighed the cost of following him. Mary got it. She got it. She perceived the value of the kingdom. Paul got it. He perceived and recognised the value of the kingdom And with a little help from Jesus, in the end, Peter got it too. Peter came to understand. In Luke 18, 28, we read that Peter is just kind of coming to terms with what it means to follow Jesus. And so here he's kind of challenging Jesus a little. And he says, Jesus, we left everything we owned and followed you, didn't we? We did, didn't we? And I love Jesus' response. Have a look at it. Yes, said Jesus, and you won't what? You won't regret it. No one who has sacrificed home, spouse, brothers and sisters, parents or children, whatever, will lose out. It will all come back multiplied many times over in your lifetime and then the bonus of eternal life. Here's here's the truth. You will never regret giving up everything you have to have Jesus and to participate in his kingdom. And maybe you're here today Maybe you're here today and your faith, you just feel your faith is just hanging on by a thread. Or maybe you're here today and you are feeling that the sacrifice of following Jesus is just too much. You're finding it, you're finding the cost like really hard and you're feeling that in any moment you may break. Can I say to you today, with all the love that I have, with all the compassion that I have, but with also with all the challenge that I have. Can I say to you today, don't look back. Don't look back. Don't give up. Jesus and his kingdom is the most valuable thing that you can gain. The most valuable thing that you can gain. If you've lost sight of the treasure, will you this year, will you today, will you take another look at Jesus? If you've lost lost sight of the value of the kingdom? Would you take another look at the pearl and would you be wowed again by him? Would you be wowed again by the kingdom? Because here's the deal, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. You won't lose out because God has a thousand ways to return to you whatever it is that you have given him. And that's just in this life. Then there's the life of the age to come. As we close today, there's one other person who knows the cost of giving up everything to receive the promised joy, and that is Jesus. Tim Keller says this, he says, every treasure on this earth says, give your life to purchase me. Jesus says, I am the one treasure who died to purchase you. And in 1 Peter one nineteen we read this which affirms this it says for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life you inherited from your forefathers but that you were redeemed with the what? With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. You see, do you know what I love about this parable too? is that if we're to flip this parable over, we're to flip this parable around and to see it from Jesus' perspective, we can actually see that he is telling this parable from personal experience. Jesus lived this parable. Jesus is embodying the way of the kingdom in this parable. You see, Jesus is like the man who gave up everything he possessed. The riches of heaven, he came down from heaven, gave it all up. To come to earth to redeem you and I. Jesus is like the pearl merchant who gave up everything to purchase what he perceived to be the most valuable to him. You and I. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was sweating drops of blood, Jesus was acutely aware of the sacrifice that it would take to follow through with his mission. He knew the cost. He knew the price. He knew that it would cost him his very life. Yet we read this. For the what? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. What was the joy? Well, the joy was ultimately the glory of God. And it was also to to what? To sit down. What does it mean for Jesus to sit down? Well, what it means is that when Jesus sits down, it means that the work that he came to complete is completed. The work that he came to do to bring about the reconciliation of all things to redeem you and I, it is completed. Jesus was seated and the mission was completed. You see, in his joy, Jesus completed it all for you and I. He knew it would require him to give up everything in order to purchase and redeem you and I. But for the joy set before him, Jesus said, I am all in. I am all in. And on the cross with his own blood, Jesus purchased for us our salvation, our freedom, our forgiveness and our life. You see, for Jesus, the joy of redeeming us far outweighed the cost of dying for us and why because of 2 Peter 9 it says once we were no one but now we are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation we are God's special possession let me ask you a question today do you see yourself as a treasure loved by God do you see yourself as a treasure loved by God do you see yourself as having value and worth to Jesus Do you see that you are God's special possession? Because that, that is who you are. That is what you and I are. Would you stand with me today? Because we're going to go out and we're going to sing and we're going to declare this and then afterwards we're going to have a time of communion together. And I'm going to go down though and preach at Broadview. I'm going to share this same message down there. But Jesus says to you and I today, that I'm willing to give up everything for you because you are my treasure, my treasure that was once lost but is now found. I'm willing to give up everything for you. You are my precious possession that I was sent to seek and to save. So as we close today, let me just remind us again of this truth, that the joy of following King Jesus together and participating in his kingdom is worth giving up Everything, for. Spirit of God, we just pray that you would come into this place right now. Lord, we want to put the cross before us. We want to say that nothing matters more. Lord, would you, for those of us who are here today who are feeling that uh, that the value of the kingdom and who you are is not not front and centre for them. Lord, right now, by your Spirit, would you just remind them and help them again to perceive afresh the value of the kingdom. Help them to perceive and to recognise again the worth that it is to know Jesus and to participate in his kingdom. Lord, we want to be a church that loves you. We want to be a church that puts you front and centre in all things and to say that nothing matters more. The cross before me, the world behind me, you are enough. You are enough. That is who we want to be. Come on, would we sing that today and we would declare this truth this morning?